We are in Luke, um, chapter 7, 1 through 10. So I'm looking forward to Friday night. It's going to be fun. And you guys, I know the long ball is fun, but you gotta got to stop throwing the long ball. It just gets intercepted or, or an incomplete pass. So go with the run. Keep Don't saying that. Don't run. Don't run. Should you just put the staff win on it now? You write that in there. Okay, so we are we are doing Jesus and the Centurion, Luke seven one through ten. So Jesus and the Centurion. So who knows what a Centurion is? So it's a Roman, uh, like you could say captain or major or something like that, over 100 soldiers. So definitely a guy in command. So we're going to read about him specifically. So then as you guys, as we read this, we're going to do the observations. So let's uh, go ahead and we'll stand and we'll read uh, Luke 7, 1 through 10. So after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus said to them, when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and then another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at them, and turning to the crowd, he that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been set returned to the house, they found the servant well. So you guys may be seated. So who are the people involved? Who are the players? What do you guys have? Jesus. Jesus. That's the easy one. Who wants to say centurion? Centurion. All right. We got those two. Soldiers. Yep. You mentioned those. Yep. The servant. Yep. Who needs? Uh, who's sick? Now, uh, more people. What are the other people that we have? Yeah. The crowd. The crowd. Yeah. The elders of the Jews. Yep. The elders of the Jews. Right. So I think that's everybody that we got. Oh, and then there, I guess there's one more group, the friend of the centurion that came to meet Jesus before Jesus actually made it to the centurion's house. So, so, what was the, so the situation here is pretty simple. The centurion, need, um, the centurion uh, needs a servant healed. It's a servant that he loves and is uh, of great value to him. Um, but there's a... Tell me about the centurion. 
who knows about the centurion set in this time frame and who the centurion is. Tell me a little bit about him. What can you infer? Anybody have any ideas? So the centurion is Roman, right? They're in Israel. So it's interesting because there's a Roman and there's elders of the Jews. So right there, Roman, Israel aren't friends. But this is interesting, right? So we have the centurion that's Roman and we have the elders of the Jews uh, probably the elders of that town or that city is coming and saying, hey, this is a great guy, but he's a conqueror of Israel. So that's really interesting, I thought. What, does, what did the centurion do for them? Why is the elders talking on his behalf? The centurion built the synagogue yeah. in that town. So the centurion built the synagogue, which that's, um, that's fabulous. He also, there's another thing that was added to it. Not only did he build a synagogue, but there's another thing to commend the centurion. Yeah. Uh, it says he loves the nation. Yeah, so he loves the nation. So he's probably a, a God-fearing um, Roman soldier. So definitely an oddball. So generally, if you're a Roman or you're working with Romans, uh, you are hated, especially if you're a tax collector. Um, so here's the centurion that... Um, that uh, needed some help and then the elders um, of this town went on his behalf to Jesus to talk to him. Why wouldn't the centurion just immediately go to Jesus? He wasn't sure if Jesus would do what he wanted. Why do you think? Because he wasn't Jewish. And so he's a Gentile, right? So as a Gentile, it automatically makes him unclean. Okay, so the centurion knew that. That, okay, I'm not Jewish. That makes me unclean. So he was being respectful of Jesus. So how does Jesus respond in this story? What jumps out at you? He marvels at his faith. Yeah, exactly. So at the end, he marvels at his faith. Because what did the centurion do that made Jesus marvel? Yeah, so, I mean, that was just kind of, that's completely thinking out of the box uh, for, because you have to, like, because what, what happened with the, uh, the paralytic? Here, here's a paralyzed person. The friends didn't think, oh, I'll just go to Jesus and say, hey, I got this friend over here. Can you just heal him? But they didn't even think that. They would, like, pull them all the way over here, ripped a hole in the house, and lowered him down, which is, that's fabulous. I mean, that showed great faith, but the centurion kind of went another step above and then just said, hey, just make, them, just make them better. You don't have to come all the way over here. I'm a Gentile. I'm a Roman. I don't want you to be unclean or be looked down upon about helping me. Um, you can just go and uh, just heal them from there. So that's the main point. And it's interesting also, he says marvel. That's the, that's the only time Jesus ever said 
uh, he marveled at somebody's faith. And there's another time that Jesus marveled, and it's complete opposite. He marveled at unbelief at another time in the scripture. So he marveled at great faith, and then he marveled at great disbelief, which is interesting. What are some other ways that Jesus responded? Just something over here. You ladies got anything? Andrew? Yep. You guys? Okay? Good. What else? Any direct commands or warnings? So, and then of course the outcome of this encounter was the servant was healed. So. That's uh, and people were um, amazed at that. So it's a great point. So I put on for the main point, this encounter teaches me that Jesus, there's a couple of different things that I came up with. Um, what do you guys have for your main point? This encounter teaches me that Jesus, what? Jesus treats us as worthy, whether we are or not. Okay, so... Jesus teaches us as worthy whether we are or not. What are some other main points that you guys have? Is it too hard? We got. The honor of our faith. Good. Any other thoughts for main points? The reason why we're going through this is getting you guys thinking about the scriptures and, and applying them and thinking them through. So what would you say a, a main point is for this? We need to have one more. Three's the complete number. We got ready. There you go. So Jesus wants to see strong faith. So that's good. So um, I... Uh, there's some other ones that I could add to. Um, this encounter teaches me that Jesus came with authority, you could say, because there's a lot of authority in here. You could also say Jesus came to save those who have faith, despite our un unworthiness. So, so we could say came with authority, came to save with those who have faith, despite our unworthiness. And the other three were good, too. So good job, guys. So we're going to go in and talk about that main point here today. So, and I want to dive into two topics that I want to highlight. So I want to highlight, we've mentioned these, authority and worthiness. So we really understand authority pretty well. We just had an election, right? So we know governors, we know senators, we've been inundated with commercials over and over again on who to vote for. We understand we have parents, so we have um, teachers and principals, right? So those are your authority figures. Uh, we have elders at the church, so Pastor Scott and I are your elders, and so we take that authority very seriously in being, in, uh, being servant leaders. You also, you might have an older sibling, or you might be the older sibling yourself, and you might, your parents might go off uh, and leave you in charge of the younger siblings and say, hey, you're in charge, so you have authority. But we also know what overreach looks like, too, authority in the overreach. So it's like if the older brother 
um, abuses his authority while watching the younger siblings, he couldn't say, hey, clean my room, I'm in charge, right? That would be an authority overreach, and we would all balk on that pretty quickly. So we understand authority and the boundaries that we have within authority. And that's what the centurion said. He had authority, and he knew how to use it. So he was over 100 men, Roman soldiers. He was wealthy. He had servants, and he knew how to command people, and he had people over him. So he had uh, governors. He had people, uh, uh, prefects and all that over him, and he was commanded what to do. He knew what his authority was, and he knew uh, when he was bound by that authority. And so what the centurion knew was that Jesus had authority over all of creation, amazingly enough. And, he, and the centurion knew that Jesus knew how it works and how to authority. So we have like from Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created, whether rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So that's talking about Jesus and specifically that Jesus created all things and then all things were put underneath him and were created for him and by him. So we know that Jesus has that authority and the centurion believed this. So interestingly enough, the Pharisees, which were the leaders of the Jews, they did not believe this. Remember I was talking about the Jesus and the, um, the paralytic? If you turn like four or five pages to the left um, to, uh, in your book, that's Luke 5.17. It talks about the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law there that were, in Je- that were with Jesus. And when the paralytic was, the paralyzed man was brought down, Jesus didn't heal him. What did Jesus say to him? What did you say? Your sins are forgiven. But then what did the Pharisees and the teachers of the law say? says in verse 21, who can forgive sins but God alone? And then Jesus says in verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So the Jews, uh, the, the leaders of the Jews who know better, who should know better, they, um, they have the law they have the scriptures, they have the traditions, and they didn't believe that Jesus had the authority. But here's this Roman centurion Gentile that did believe in Jesus' authority and power. And, um, and so that's a really important thing to know is, do you believe that Jesus has the authority to do what he said he'll do? And that really comes down to the faith. Do you believe in God's promises? And so we have a lot of promises in the scriptures that um, we can rattle off. So what are some what are some promises that you guys know of in the scriptures? We should know quite a few. We'll do a test here. So we have a promise that. If you believe, he'll forgive your sins, right? So that's a promise. Do you believe that Jesus can do that? Yeah. The what? 
He'll never send a flood again. Excellent. That's a promise. What are some other promises? We should be able to rattle off a lot. We got to. The what? Rise again in three days. That was a promise. Good. Andrew? Yeah, the covenant that he'll make Abraham uh, descendants as many as the stars. And that's true. What are some promises now, currently, and then the future? That Jesus is coming back. <laughs> Excellent. I'll give you a fist bump if you weren't so far away. So, that's excellent. Jesus is coming again. Okay. And if we are to die, what's going to happen? If we believe, we'll go to heaven and live eternally with him. He'll promise that he'll listen to our prayers. He'll give us a new body. In the resurrection, he'll wipe away every tear. He's our fortress, our stronghold. Do not fear, for God is with you. That's another promise. It's also honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. Do you know what the promise is? That you may live long. He'll renew our strength. He also says, come to me, all who are weary, and Jesus will give you rest. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. He bore our sins. He also works all things to good for those that love him. These are promises that we need to hold on to. If you, if you don't think on these promises, on dwell on these promises, when tough times come, what are you going to hold on to? You're going to hear the lies that Satan wants you to hear. That's why it's important that you fill your mind with true things and promises. And if you don't believe that Jesus can do these things, well, then you have no hope. It's really, that's what it comes down to, to where that's where we put our faith and our promises in God's word and what he says and what he does for us. So I want to switch gears because I'm going to hang on. I'm going to come back to authority. I'm going to switch gears to worthiness. Worthiness is a little bit trickier to understand. Worthiness is a suitability, like how suitable are we? If you, if you study in a class, you do all the homework, you get an A in the final, the teacher's going to give you an A, right? If you don't study, you don't do the homework, you get an F on the final, and the teacher gives you an A, are you worthy to get that A? You are, yeah, you are unworthy, right? So... We, we also say you work, you work eight hours in a day, you're worthy to get paid at the end of that, right? It's also, we know that we're made in the image of God, and since we're made in the image of God, we have an essential worth and worthiness because we're made in the image of God, so that we can't kill one another. That's called murder, because we're made in the image of God. You can't murder an animal. You can kill an animal, you can of course be cruel to an animal, and that's sinful. But you can't murder an animal. They're not made in the image of God. Which is why we, we hold, our church holds to pro-life. That we believe that um, life begins at conception um, with that. So the centurions 
thought he was what? Did the centurion, did you think, did it say that the centurion was worthy or unworthy? Unworthy. And then, but what did the leaders, the elders say that he was? The leaders of the Jews. Worthy. He was worthy. That's interesting because the Jews had the promises. They had um, the scriptures. And they thought he was worthy, but the centurion knew he was unworthy, right? Because who is right? Who's correct in that? The centurion is correct. He is unworthy. He knew his place. He knew his sinfulness, and he knew what state he was in. The Jews were stuck on their self-righteousness, and so they attributed worth when there was none. So he thought that, um, so the elders thought, the elders of the Jews thought that the centurion was worthy to receive God's grace. When, what is grace? Have you guys heard of the definition of grace? It's a quick two-word definition. Unmerited favor. So it's a fancy way of saying grace is, um, it's basically, it's undeserved favor from God. And there's a great, if you turn to 1 Corinthians 15, there's a great set of verses here that I get, if you guys have the scriptures or bring up your phones um, and turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 11. And I want to read that because it's really good to hear because it talks a lot. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church about, he talks about the gospel here really clearly and what the gospel is. And then he talks about how humble he is by God's grace in there. So I'm going to read that. And it's verse, it's chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 3. I'm going to read 3 through 11. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So he's driving right into the, the gospel here and what the gospel is, because we can't forget what that is. So that Christ was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles. So he's, here's an apostle, that's an authority figure given by God, that he's, a, he's sent by God. He actually saw Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus himself, and was commissioned by him to be an apostle, okay? He appeared to him, but he calls himself the least of the apostles. So the, the humility that he has of that, it did not puff him up to have Jesus appear to him and make him an apostle. It actually humbled him more because he persecuted the church and he understands the sinfulness of him. So the humility that he has in here is very similar to the centurion. So... And then in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this, grace, and this grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. So he was spurred on by God's grace. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So it's not him, but it's God's grace, God's unmerited favor in here that makes him um, be fruitful, that makes him be humble, um, and that makes God 
uh, so glorious in there. So it's a, it's a really, I really like those scriptures to really point out the humility of Paul and the centurion. Both had authority, both were humble, and both thought themselves as unworthy of God's grace. And we are all unworthy of God's grace right here. So that's what makes grace so amazing. God is holy, right? And we are sinful. So the wages of sin is death. So we work really hard at sinning, and so then our just rewards is death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life. So by grace, so by unmerited flavor, so by grace we are saved through faith. And this is not our own doing, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that we can't boast. We can only boast in what God has done us. So even though we're sinful and rebellious and selfish, um, yet God loves us. And so we have to let that sink in, that God loved us and has given us his grace despite our unworthiness. So the centurion had the proper humility to know that he was unworthy, and he also had um, the faith to believe that Jesus had the authority to do what he says he do. So you need both. You need, to, you need to have the proper humility to know that you're unworthy and that you're sinful and you need a savior, and you also... Um, you need the faith to believe that Jesus has the authority to do what you have. So if you only believe that Jesus has the authority, um, but you're prideful and puffed up, you're going to be self-righteous. And so that's not going to get you anywhere. But um, if you, um, and, and that self-righteousness, you can even say that's the faith of demons. They know that... Um, um, Jesus has the authority. They're scared, to, they're scared to death of him. Jesus cast them out and they're like, they plead with him. So the demons know Jesus' authority, yet they have no humility, they have no repentance, they have no faith. But if you think you're unworthy, but don't believe what Jesus can do, you're hopeless, right? You have no hope. So understanding and believing that Jesus can do what he can do, and you believe and have the humility to believe uh, that he can save you. You need those both. And the centurion had both of those. So remember those. Um, so remember and believe God's promises. He'll do them. When you're going through a trial or anything really difficult, it's so important to have those promises ready at hand in the scriptures uh, to remind yourself. Because Satan, you're made in the image of God, and Satan wants to destroy you. I had a, I, I was at a, playing softball at a prison in, uh, I forgot where it was, Centralia. And I was talking to a guy, and he was getting out really soon, and he said, I was like, hey, you know, do you, you know, I shared the gospel with him, and it's like, do you want to be closer to Jesus? And he's like, no, every time I get closer to Jesus, bad things happen to me. And Satan just attacks me more and more the closer I get to Satan. closer I get to Jesus. And he just had this weird concept of if I go to church, Satan's going to attack me. I told him, it was like, you're made in the image of God. He wants to destroy you whether or not you go to church. And he's like, that's a good point. So we have to, we have to hold who our enemy is and know who our enemies are. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. So remember those things. And remember that God can do what he says he does. And to put your hope in him and not this world. Because this world is a simple, has a lot of pleasures, and it has a lot of things to help you forget 
and money, drugs, um, a lot of entertainment, um, but that's fleeting and uh, unfulfilling and dangerous. So we need to be thankful for God's grace. Always remember that. So it's when we become thankless that we get into trouble. Okay, so I just wanted to challenge you guys with those. Let's pray and close, and we'll get into small groups here. Father, thank you for today. We're so thankful for your goodness, grace, mercy, your unmerited favor. We're so thankful for the examples uh, and the scriptures that you've given us. Let us put our hope in you. Don't let us be distracted by this world and the, the things that get put in front of us, whether it's flashy things or money or um, relationships or uh, jobs or whatnot. So there's so many things that distract us from what is important. Let us always keep our hope on you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.